Well, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, hearing what you'd all discussed or some of what you'd all discussed. Um, let me pray. Father, I do pray that your spirit would be our teacher through your word. Uh, and we ask for this blessing so we can live uh, in a way that is wise and brings blessing to others and joy to you. Amen. Amen. Uh, you will have heard of the word train. normally used about relationships and um, it, it's, it's used to, des to describe often what happens when there's two people who are in conflict and one of the people in, in order to resolve it or often enough in order to win it, the conflict, they bring a third person in. Uh, I think most of us have done that at some stage. Now, of course, there are times when that is a wise course of action to get someone in, but it needs to be done carefully. Or you may have been the person who gets triangulated. I've volunteered sometimes in conflicts to triangulate myself and realise afterwards, you idiot. Um, much better to help the person who's come to you and suggest ways for them to go forward than to do it. But what we have here in this story is a, it's a bit of a classic triangulation between this lovely family, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, the family that we know kind of more about in the New Testament, I think it's fair to say, even than probably the family of Jesus. In the, the, the couple of times when we run into them, in, particularly in Luke and in John, interestingly, and I think, as you'd expect if you've looked at the Gospels, although John and Luke write quite differently, their portrayal of the personalities of these people is wonderfully consistent in a way that you only get when you've got honest readings. So the way that Mary and Martha relate to Jesus, as was mentioned in John 11, Martha comes out to see him when she hears that he's coming and doesn't fall at his feet. There's nothing wrong with not falling at his feet. I'm not saying she should have. Mary doesn't come out until Jesus calls her to come out. Then she rushes out and she falls at his feet. And there's, there is a difference in the people. Martha is treated really well by Jesus. Uh, in that conversation, he makes those wonderful words, I am the resurrection and the life. So she's not in trouble at all. They're, they're relating as, as uh, close friends, even though the two sisters are disappointed that Jesus didn't do as they'd hoped. So you get this wonderful um, family, but there's this moment of domestic trouble. I don't know if you've ever had domestic trouble in any family you've been a part of, where brothers or sisters or parents and children will sometimes actually have a disagreement, even though they love each other a lot. But that's what's going on here. And it gets a bit nasty because you'd like to think, come on, you've got a special guest. Can you, can you hold it together uh, can we, you know, until they leave and then we can have a fight? But they can't. And uh, so let, we're going to look uh, at, at two things briefly. First, we're going to look deeply but fairly straightforwardly into what is a pretty straightforward story. And then we're going to step back and see, as, as others have already done, uh, how this works into our lives. And I... It might be, and this is just a personal opinion, that of the four rocks we're going to look at, this might be the one that if you get this one right, you will in the end get the other ones right. It may be the most important rock for that, uh, although it's, it's here, it's the third in the, in the series here. Well, let's look at these people very briefly, Martha, then Mary, then Jesus. Martha begins the story, as people have rightly noted, she's doing a wonderful thing. She's inviting a highly controversial figure into her home which is somewhat dangerous. They were already planning to kill Jesus and people already knew they were doing that. So she's doing something which is not only lovely and, and warm, but it's also courageous. 
and she invites him into their home. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what she said, to what he said, but Martha was distracted. All right. And uh, something begins to really bug Martha. So what starts off quite beautifully, it may well have been Martha speaking with Mary beside her. They may well have done some preparation beforehand. But at this point, when Jesus comes into the home, and it probably wouldn't have been a huge home, Martha heads off to the kitchen. Mary heads off to the living room. And that may have been done. You'll do that sometimes when you've got guests. You can't have everyone in the kitchen leaving the guests sitting on their own. Um, so they may have, that may have been okay. But as time went on, Martha got increasingly disgruntled and I would suggest probably angry the way that she ends up dealing with it. And you may have had that situation where Martha is in the kitchen, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, I can sort of imagine the noise from the kitchen getting louder, you know, the pots and pans. <laughs> is that, was that an accident or is it she's just getting crankier and crankier? Uh, Mary is doing something, and many of you all know this, Mary is doing something which is very difficult for us to take on board, just how culturally wrong what Mary was doing was. The blokes, the disciples, they gather around the, the master and he teaches them and they can ask questions, etc. It is just pretty much unheard of in the Jewish literature from the time that a woman should place herself at the feet of the teacher. We have writings of which perhaps the, the strongest, clearest one is where one rabbi writes down um, in the Talmud, better to burn the Torah, that is the Old Testament law of God, better to burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. Now, I've chosen that because that's amongst the more extreme sort of comments, but that is the sort of general feeling. Women, that was not their place. Their place was where Martha was. One of the shocking things that Jesus does is when he's travelling around the country, he has women in his close circle of disciples. Again, because we are brought up on all sorts of nonsense about the, you know, the inherent sexism and patriarchal, etc., etc., in the Old Testament, we miss sometimes the extraordinary difference in the way that Jesus uh, treats women in his day. There's not much said about it. He just does it uh, in marked contrast, and I mustn't go down this line. Buddha had to be persuaded that women could, should join and learn his teaching. So he's the enlightened one. He's the only enlightened one, but his followers had to persuade him that maybe women should be allowed to join in this as well. And the statements that Muhammad says about women are just appalling. Um, I won't bother you. They're just, they're just unthinkable. But uh, Jesus is quite different. But Mary becomes angry. We don't know how long she was in the kitchen for. We don't know how long Jesus had been speaking for. But in the end, she can't bear it. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You know, I wonder why sometimes, you know, sometimes the preparations that had to be made, why did they have to be made? Like, um, you know, I think many of you will have been in situations where your partner or your parents or even a person who's whose hospitality you enjoy, you think, boy, they didn't have to work quite this hard. You know, I would have been happy with a fish finger. Um, salmon fish finger, that would be good. But, you know, but a fish finger would do. So whether or not they had to is probably generated from within her. And, and it does come as people, it comes from a good heart. 
she, she knows and loves and realises how spectacular Jesus is and to have him in, in the home, you, you know, it, it, there's, there's all sorts of good stuff going on. Martha was distracted by the preparation that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, and asked. Now listen carefully to what she says. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, whether or not what Martha did going into the kitchen was sinful, I hadn't even thought about that actually until um, some of you brainiacs thought of it. But at this point, she certainly is relating to Jesus in a completely mistaken way. To go to Jesus and say, don't you care? Not the nicest implication in that, that Jesus just doesn't care that it's so unfair. And then having sort of raised questions about his love and his goodness, she then gives Jesus an order. Tell her to help me. I have to tell you to tell her to do what she shouldn't have needed to be told about. Right? But you know, he, it is an interesting relationship she's fallen into with Jesus. It does, I think, show behind it the sort of person Jesus was that she even thought she could speak to him like that. Sometimes when someone is rude to you, it's actually, a, it's actually an, un, an unclearly stated compliment that because you've been so kind to them and have not used your position of authority, in the end, they're ruder to you than they should be. She is quite rude to him, I think, and she's telling Jesus how he should behave. The disciples are there. They don't say anything, which is a wise thing to do in a situation like this. <laughs> They don't say anything, but my hunch would be that they would be completely on Martha's side. They would be humbly puzzled by Jesus' behaviour, although they eventually had to get used to it. Right? But I think they would be saying, yeah, what the heck is she doing here? Right? And she should be out there. Um, so Martha, she does get herself in a spot of bother here. And I think that's part of why it's so helpful that it's here. When, when they had the, the headings uh, for this particular talk, The Danger of the Good... Uh, one of the magnificent, and we do have magnificent people who serve us in the office, said, is this a mistake, this title? You know, but no, I don't think it is. I think, I, well, it may be a mistake, but that was what I wanted to say. <laughs> that Martha is a really good person, a really good disciple of Jesus, who has fallen into a very dangerous pit that I, my hunch is most of us have fallen into any number of times. Some of us may live in it. Just to draw your attention to Jesus in this, notice the tone of the way he speaks. Some of you have noticed this. It's quite lovely the way that he says to him, Martha, Martha. And I think there's a tenderness in that. A lot of the way you read Jesus' words will often be a helpful revelation to yourself of how you think Jesus is. So I think if you get someone to read Luke 12, where God says, you fool, to that very successful fool who got so rich, and then lost it all because he died that night. I know when I was a younger Christian, I used to read it with a level of contempt. You idiot. Uh, you fool. And he has been an idiot, a very successful idiot. But I, my hunch now is that God would have said it with, with a much tenderer, tragic feel. You fool. Look what you've done to yourself. And I think with, I don't have any doubt, frankly, that Jesus, would, there would have been a tenderness in this. Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is, this is classic real Jesus, tender, loving, firm. He is not going to be told how his people should react because people tell him how they should react. Right? He is not, you know, he's not like us you know, in, in uh, old-fashioned clothing or slightly more spiritual. He's tender but firm. And he will be like that with all of us. Right? When we are just projecting our values and our understandings of what we know to be true onto him or onto his apostles, we will find that he will not just, oh, is that what I, mean? is that what I should have said? No. He's firm, but he's also tender. He doesn't slap her down publicly. She really has you know, been a bit out of order. I don't care if it would have been the Apostle Peter. It would have been out of order to speak to the master like this. But he does not return fire. Um, he's quite gentle with her and says, look, you're worried about many things, Martha. Really, the concern is only a few. Well, actually, the concern is one thing. Right. John Wesley, the um, a man mightily used of God to change history. Much of our history is completely different because of the work God did through John and Charles Wesley. Um, Wesley used to often stay in people's houses as he'd go on horseback preaching all around England. And um, he was in a particular house which the people were sort of Christians who'd taken him in. And when they got up in the morning, they found that he had written with a, a diamond sort of, I don't know, was it a nose? I don't know what it was. He had a diamond. And it scratched into their glass in a circle. One thing. Referring to this, he obviously felt that they were, you know, uh, distracted. Jesus is saying here, just one thing, and that is what Mary has chosen. Um, so Mary, again, did you see all the words Mary gets to say? Mary could quite rightly have said to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? My sister has lost herself in the kitchen. Tell her to come out here and listen like I am. Right? That would have been just as valid, I think. But she says nothing in this story. Um, but she's spoken about. And Jesus says, there's only one thing that's really essential. It is to do what Mary has done. To sit at the feet of the Son of God and drink it in. All that he is and all that he says. Mary is devoted to Jesus. Martha is described as distracted. And distraction is one of the key things in warfare, in many sporting activities, a whole lot of things in the silliness of rugby, etc., is that you try to distract them that we're going to attack down this side, but actually it's going that way. And it's great fun when you pull it off. Distraction is a great danger for busy people like Mary, like Martha, sorry. And I want to suggest to you that also the, one of the other key words is in verse 42, Mary has chosen what is best. She made a choice. The instinctive cultural choice and the family choice and the, the looks of Martha would have dragged her into the kitchen. But she made a choice. This was a rare moment in history and she was going to sit at the feet of the Son of God and spend time with him and draw near to him. We speak at our church um, about being gripped by the love of Christ. This is a woman who's been gripped by the love of Christ. She just feels herself magnetically drawn to be where he is and not to be preparing the seven-course meal or whatever or crushing and making things for the hummus. 
She's not doing that. But also Mary, I think, shows us not only what it's like to be gripped by the love of Christ, to make the, the tough and uncultural choice, um, but also this is the, if you want to become like Mary, this is the way. It is to make the choice. Uh, I'm going to sit at his feet. There's more, but that's where she's going to start. She's going to get first things first. If you look in, at the at latter moments of Mary's life recorded in the Gospels, in John chapter 12, after Jesus has raised her brother from the dead and wept at the tomb, let me see if I can find John 12. It should be here somewhere. <clears throat> Verse 3. Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's one of these great extravagant acts that's recorded in a number of the Gospels where she takes tens of thousands of dollars worth of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. Not just a bit, but she breaks the, um, the container so that she can get it all that quickly onto his feet. That sort of love, I want to suggest to you, if you want to grow to be the person who knows Jesus so much that you'll happily give and sacrifice for him because you love him in that way, is found by these earlier decisions to sit at his feet. When the option is, the easier option is to get into the kitchen or to go to work or to play with the phone or to do our emails or whatever it is. Um, it's those earlier choices that actually lead us in the direction of really knowing him so that we end up being extravagantly in love with him. So before we move on, any questions so far about the actual story itself? Yeah. Um. When Jesus says few things are needed, what are they needed for? Yeah, well, I'm not sure if Jesus gives us the answer in this passage, so I don't know. But she's, she is saying that um, what needs to be done is the work in the kitchen. And it does, as was said, someone needs to prepare food. But I'm not, I would think he's just saying that there's, in life there are 100 demands. We need to get them down to a few, and sometimes we need to get them down to one. So I, I wouldn't, I don't feel I'm in a position to sort of say exactly who the few are. But it is helpful, isn't it, if you, if you feel like I've got a million things to do to get it. What are the, what are the, write them down. And then Jesus was saying, make sure you get first things first. Yeah. yeah. What Jody just saying, it, it's, it is still a good thing that, that Martha takes her bad temper with Jesus and with her sister to Jesus. And you do see that in the Old Testament uh, a number of times, these, these psalms of lament, where they get quite risky sometimes the way that they speak to God. Now, we don't want to do that if, if we get... I think the danger with people from our culture is we get so upset sometimes with quite a small thing that we think, right, I can rage against God like Jeremiah did. When Jeremiah says to God, you're like an unfaithful brook that promised water and delivered nothing. I wouldn't be saying that to God just with a moment of disappointment. But when your whole nation is being slaughtered, right, there might be a time when, when you go that way. Um, there are some very strong statements. And I think this, the beauty of this is if you are cranky with God, take it to him. Right? He knows anyhow. You're not going to shock him. You might shock other people who hear you pray. And I think the lovely thing is here um, that Jesus responds to her warmly. He's loving her even as he rebukes her. 
All right, now let's, let's sort of step back a little bit and, and um, see if there are some key lessons we can gain here. I, want to, I was almost going to um, dig my hand into my vase. And, um, and pull out the rocks and suggest to you, this, may, this is the third rock. And it, it's, it's in its order for a very helpful uh, note, as people have mentioned. That is, there's a lot of, as we had read, go and do this. The Good Samaritan is doing a lot of gooding. He's doing good. The mission is the call to go and do something. Right? There's a lot of action here. And then God brilliantly places this story that says, beware of activism. Beware of being, as we sometimes say, a Martha. Um, because the thing we need to face with it is that, as I, I've heard talks on this passage uh, many years ago, where people will say, we need people to be Marys and Marthas. No, we don't. That is to misuse the story. Martha is in the wrong. She is not an example of anything. We can understand what she's doing. The Bible will give you plenty of teaching on working hard. It's, it's, for not, it's not for no reason that they talk about the Protestant work ethic. The Bible will encourage you to work really hard and diligently in all sorts of work, whatever sort of work it is. And that pleases God. But Martha is simply in the wrong. It's not unlike, this reminds me of this passage sometimes, like when you hear Christians talk about the prodigal son story. And there's an enormous amount of sympathy for the older brother. Isn't there? And I get it. But you need to face, when you look at that story, there is no sympathy for the older brother in the story as Jesus tells it. He is a self-righteous jerk. I've got to stop using that word. <laughs> because as was, I, I, you know, someone mentioned that they, they have a chuckle because we've got this family called the jerks here. And I've said... <laughs> I've, I've, I've said to various friends out of the church, you know, and I've talked about them because they're a memorable family. Um, they're the least jerkish people I've ever met, you know. <laughs> so I need to find another word that isn't swearing but expresses a fair level of discontent with someone. But the older brother is, is, he is he's an ugly, he's the Pharisees. He's the people that in the end killed Jesus. We need to be careful of trying to sort of purify the one in the story of Martha is simply in the wrong here. You don't, it's not a question. We need, we need people to be Mary and Martha. No, we don't. This story is clearly but here to say, don't fall into activism. That your life with God loses its heart, which is God. It's Christianity. right? It's not loveyanity. It's not servianity. It's Jesusianity. That's what it is. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus being close to him, looking, learning, being transformed by that. Of course, there's hard work to be done. There's a lot of loving and serving of their neighbour. There's people who are in desperate need in our own community. We're very, like any group of humans, we're very needy. There are people who need all sorts of help and we need to love. And I think there's an awful lot of love goes on at St Matt's that I hear about bits of all sorts of bits and pieces. You also notice it when someone feels they're unloved. Can I just give you a friendly, I don't want you to become cynical, 
But when someone tells you that they haven't been loved, there's a very good chance that you're not getting the full story. Undoubtedly, because we're weak and failures, we sometimes miss things. But one of the ways that the Christian community gets misused sometimes is by people sort of pushing, you're not very loving, I need, it's a way that we actually manipulate Christians sometimes. We need just to be careful if you hear that someone says, I haven't been loved, I've had good brothers and sisters come to me once or twice here in other churches, they say, why, why is no one loving this person? Uh, and then with, with one or two of them, I've, they are the most loved people I've ever seen in a Christian community. But the way that you can move Christians to give and give to a level that's perhaps beyond what is helpful for them is to play, nobody loves me, and you say you're loving. But there is an enormous amount of charity and giving here, as there should be. We are to be good Samaritan people. Right? At the same time, we're to be desperately involved in the urgent mission. But don't allow the doing and the doing of good and the doing of that which is right and that which is Christ-like to eat you up from the inside, that you simply can't sit at the feet of Jesus anymore. Because here's what happens to me. I don't know what you're like. I get so whirled up in stuff I've got to do that I almost can't stop. Uh, I, I almost find it hard to slow down. I get restless when I slow down. I don't mind sleeping or, you know, or watching a movie, but if I'm just sitting at the feet of Jesus or drawing near to Jesus, the, the more activists churned up you get, it's almost, you almost lose the ability to slow down, which means you, we really need to do more of it. Rock 3 is saying, slowing down and being still and sitting at the feet of Jesus is central. It is the number one thing. And it, sa- it saves us from just getting caught up in doing, 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 doing. One, some of you all know that one of the most haunting passages from Jesus' teaching is in Matthew 7, where he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that on the last day, many will say, but Lord, we preached in your name. We did miracles in your name. And a couple of other things. And Jesus says, I will say to them, I never knew you. Now, the the terrible thing about those people is that when they worried about their standing before God on the judgment day, they point to their activity. They think that because they've been front and centre in all the important work in the Christian gospel work, they think they're in, but it's knowing him. It's being like Mary and trusting him. It's the relationship with Christ. And then Revelation chapter 2, which we looked at six years ago, so you'll remember it, where he talks to the church in Ephesus, which I do think is like my sort of Christianity. He says, I know your hard works. You know, I know that you do this. I know that you sweat. I know that you've persevered. But I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You better go about getting that back. Uh, and so Jesus is well aware of the hard work, but it's the relationship with him that is central to him and central to our life and joy. Okay, secondly, in terms of stepping back, Beware of just sort of sliding into Martha-ism. There is a shortage of labourers, as Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 2. There's prayer to be done and there's work to be done, but beware, even as Jesus says, yes, there's a shortage of becoming a person who just goes about crazily doing good. And don't judge the people that you know who are busy, um, because some of the people in this church that I know reasonably well who seem to me to be the busiest and I'm not talking about you know, um, people on the full-time ministry staff, etc. 
are also some of the people who, from my knowledge of them, have a very carefully nurtured private life with Jesus. They take mornings off every so often to just go and be with Christ. Right? So don't look at a person who's busy and say, oh, Martha. Right? <laughs> There's a very good chance if you are doing that, you know, you're probably not really being a Mary. Right? <laughs> but they're making you uncomfortable. So just be aware of that, um, the danger of the good. There's a sort of laziness, which I'm a victim of, not a victim of, I'm a perpetrator of. Laziness can mean not just lying around doing nothing. It can mean doing that which is not the first and second and third thing that you should be doing. Where you do stuff, you're busy doing stuff, but it's not the main game. Sometimes you can hide in the kitchen when you should be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because there's a way in which prayer and listening to the scriptures is demanding on the human soul, often before it is deeply satisfying and liberating. Many of us have shared that often when you first come to sort of sit down with the scriptures, turn your phone off, put it away, whatever else, just so you're not likely to be distracted, um, you'll find a restlessness of spirit. And the one or two times I've gone for, I went on a three-day silent retreat once, and um, <laughs> my friends, my friends... My friends who were into it were really worried that I was going to go mad because um, they did it, but they were introverts. And, I, and the only conversation you had was once a day you talked to this sort of spiritual sort of coach thing and, um, that, that would, and, and he'd say, okay, you've got to pray for an hour from this time to this time. Um, I said, so I can read the Bible. No, not reading the Bible, just pray. Oh, my goodness. Uh, talking to God, what a drag. But... Um, <laughs> But I, I found repeatedly, first 10 minutes, I'm all over the shop by half, half yeah. But somewhere between the 30 to the 60 minutes, it suddenly becomes the most beautiful thing in the world. But if you don't endure where you're somehow or other your soul is being calmed down. So laziness can mean we avoid being still with God, drawing near to Christ, listening to his word and praying as we look at in our last session. And get caught up in something which is good, but not as uh, demanding or as ultimately beneficial. So avoid being an accidental Martha. Uh, I'll just have to, I'll have to kick some of these things out here. Um, we sing a beautiful song about the servant king. Uh, so much of the stuff we do as Christians is so much more revolutionary than we imagine. That God is the servant God. It really irritates some other monotheists that I've spent time arguing with. They find that it's demeaning to say that God is a servant God, which of course he is. But when you slow down with God, you will then find yourself charged helpfully to get out and be active. So it's not about Mary and Martha. That's not the point of the story being both. But Jesus himself, in Luke's Gospel in particular, is often we're told that he's away praying uh, and he comes back and works very, diff very hard. So that's one of the reasons why I've got these two little leaflets here that will be outside there. One is the soap one. For those of you who haven't, not reselling it, but those of you who have either lost yours uh, or haven't you know, picked up a little bit about it this weekend, there'll be some of those that will help you in the Mary business. That's the idea of it. And then um, you would have heard about this in church. Next week we start a Simply Christianity course on the Sunday. There'll be some of those there if that will help you remember or to invite a friend. And that's part of the, that's part of the mission part. We, we need to be 
people who are dealing with all three and four of the rocks. Well, I might um, stop there and throw it open for questions before we do one more thing and then sing, as always sing a song. But any last questions about some of the application of this magnificent thing? Go, go and do likewise. Ooh, slow down. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Any quick last questions? Okay. I think it might be the most important of the three rocks for us to hit, Don. Yeah. Yes, we can accidentally um, think that, that we are essential to the plans of God. And in a sense, we have to play our part. Um, but as, as people have rightly said, you know, you can't do anything before you pray, but you probably have to do lots of things after you pray. And very often, and I was chatting with someone yesterday about this who struggles with a bit of sort of sickness that would drive me nuts, but, and they just, they're all, all they can do now really in, in church is pray. Well, we'll look at that in the, in the next one. There's really nothing more important than that. Um, interesting how criticised Mary gets. When she does the, the beautiful act of love that God obviously thinks is good, she gets criticised by the disciples. Now we know that we hear that the, the leader of the pack in the criticism of Mary for wasting all that money that should have been given to the poor is Judas. But here again, when she's devoted to Jesus rather than distracted, she's criticised. And you may sometimes you know, feel at times that people say, well, why, are you, you know, why aren't you doing more when you're doing the most important thing? Let's pray then we'll sing. Father in heaven, thank you for your son. Thank you for the gentleness in the way that he treats us when we're a bit ungentle in the way that we treat him and unrespectful. Um, thank you for both Martha and Mary. Thank you for the honesty of Martha in coming out and triggering this conversation. And we do pray that you would help us in a, in a sort of a, a Martha-type world where there's so much to do to have genuinely uh, an increasing likeness to Mary, that we may be disciples who joyfully and increasingly sit at the feet of your Son. We pray for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.